relative humidity is 78%. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Andrew Work and your guest presenter today is Paul Zimmerman. Good morning, Paul. Morning, Andrew. How's it going? It's going good. I think it's going to be like nitro and glycerin today. I don't think we've done a show together before. I don't think so either. And it is, what is it, watermelon time? Uh, watermelon and education. Today, we look into the Education Bureau's latest guidelines on teacher-student interactions, which it says are aimed at enhancing educators' values and professionalism. So students are getting a pass today. Distributed to schools territory-wide, the new guidelines stipulate that teachers should avoid physical contact when taking photos with their students and refrain from calling them using nicknames. Reciprocally, students are told to address teachers using their real names. Highlighting the importance of maintaining a proper image beyond the classroom, the training kit warns teachers not to write insulting posts on social media, be it public or private ones, although it did not specify what the penalties are. And after 9.45, we discuss organic farming, which is promoted as part of the Happy Hong Kong campaign. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And we've got a couple of guests who are going to walk us through the new policy today and what the implications might be. On the line, we've got uh, Dr. Rizwan Ola, who's the vice principal at Law Tin Pong Secondary School. Good morning, uh, Dr. Ola. Welcome back to the show. Good morning. Morning. Great to have you on. We've also got Mervyn Chung, who is the chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Organization. Good morning. Mr. Chen. Good morning. Good morning, Mervyn. All right, uh, gentlemen. Good morning. So, um, uh, Dr. Ella, you're a vice principal at a school. Presumably, you're going to be responsible for enforcing or Upholding guiding the rules. Yeah. yeah. I mean, tell us what what is in this this new set of guidelines. Well, I think uh, this time Education Bureau issued uh, like a training kit uh, where they shared four real cases for schools to. Uh, conduct some professional development of 180 uh, minutes on these topics with their teachers to discuss on those four scenarios and uh, also look at what they have uh, at school-based level in dealing with, you know, uh, one of these uh, four, ca- I mean, of these four cases for, for the teachers. Uh, and this is probably uh, something in addition to uh, the, the teachers' professional uh, conduct guidelines, which was issued in uh, December 2022, that is the background of uh, the guidelines. And, with, and yeah, sure, go ahead. I mean, with these four cases uh, that you're talking about, is this a little case? Is this? Is, it sounds a little bit like fighting the last war. It sounds like something something happened they didn't want to have happen, and they said, "Oh, geez, we can't have that happen again." So let's let's address that. Um, is it just addressing these four issues, or is it are there bigger, broader principles in play? Well, I think uh, they like uh, first of all, uh, the uh, if you look at the whole uh, like over the past few years, uh, we can see the uh, society's uh, expectation on teachers, uh, professional conduct, and even the expectation of teachers are increasing uh, over the. Uh, they have a higher expectations. And also, at the same time, you have, you know, uh, new teachers. And probably uh, when you have, uh, you know, these new guidelines and also you want to go into some in-depth discussion of these, uh, and you cannot have an exhaustive list of things. So these are some of the four cases that were brought to, you know, for teachers to have discussions. And also, you know, uh, uh, like I take part in the Hong Kong Education Workers Union, and what I understand uh, every year, 
like in the past two three years there has been around two two to three hundred cases which uh the teachers uh were actually uh given some uh, warning letters uh for some behavior that they think oh it doesn't warrant a complaint uh, i mean a warning and these similar cases were also reported so i think this come in a, a timely manner where you know that when you have new colleagues who are joining the trade and then you can actually let them know what is the expectation and uh, through professional development understand what the expectation and how you can work around to have positive bonding with your students mm -hmm. and uphold the professional image of of a teacher of a teacher or being in teaching profession so, so just for the benefit of our listeners because i'm sure they haven't read the guidelines can you run us through kind of briefly through these four cases well, uh, well, let me recall. Okay, there's one case where a, uh, a teacher uh, visits an eatery and then leaves some negative uh, remark of an eatery because uh, they found the owner of a restaurant uh, have a different political views on certain things. That was case one. And then case two, uh, there was a teacher, uh, I think, uh, calling a student with a uh, nickname. And the nickname is actually, it's not really the nickname, nickname that we think in English. But if you put it in Chinese, like uh, calling a student uh, like a chicken, like everyone called that student a chicken, and a teacher accidentally called that student, hey, don't call this student a chicken. So that was one example taken out. And then a third example was a primary school teacher giving uh, uh, some uh, websites for the students without personally going through those resource links and get students to do a project. And when students go into those websites, they see things that they should not be seeing or see a lot of different things, which was beyond their comprehension or digestion ability. And then the last case was uh, a teacher uh, actually uh, reinforcing the students for doing well and then take them to a party room for party. And then inside the party room, they have games which have physical contact. These were the four cases given in that professional training kit. Hmm. Okay, well, they all kind of make sense, isn't it? I mean, uh, taking the students to a private party room um, and uh, having physical contact, that is, uh, I, I think that's probably, we're talking about a much more of an intimate situation, but it's the, the description that uh, we get here is a broader one. It's more like you, you can't also not touch them when you take a photograph or a group photograph and uh, after a sports event. Um, is, oh, is it being taken a bit too far? Uh, well, I think inside the, uh, like, I think for the, uh, the one that you talk about, like the, in the party room and the, the teacher took photo with the student, he tapped the shoulder of the student. Mm. Uh, so I think the list cannot be very exhaustive. And I think we should not uh, uh, take this to that level. But these are some discussions that teachers can have. And, you know, in the school, when they draw up their own guidelines or when they are explaining to teachers about the broader uh, interpretation of the school rules or guidelines, at least they know some of the things, these are the things that is actually not acceptable. Because sometimes when we talk about law, I mean, we're not talking about law, like what is allowed, what is not allowed, but it's more about, you know, we have to exercise our professional judgment in various scenarios when we are dealing with students. We, because students put trust in us, and as professionals, we have to exercise that professionalism. Like let's say if I take photos with students, 
is it correct for me to put my hand over a shoulder of an opposite sex? I mean, or even if the same sex, uh, there would be a lot of cultural, religious, and other factors. So how to do it in a way that, you know, we uphold our image and dignity of everyone. Uh, right. We've also got on the, on the line Mervyn Chung from the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Organization. Uh, Mervyn, are these are these some of the issues that uh, were causing your organization concern? Yeah, uh, precisely. Um, so for uh, for this reason, I, I I supported the training tips, and especially as uh, as Mr. Principal has just mentioned, um, over the next few years, we expect to have uh, quite a number of. Uh, Young and experienced teachers that join, uh, joining the um, the teacher, uh, teaching force in Hong Kong, so it's, it's always good that um, such guidelines be be visited uh, uh, regularly, you know, to remind uh, um, members of the teaching force uh, about the need to enhance uh, their professional values, their conduct, as well as uh, helping them to better alert uh, the students. So um, the training kits. I would say uh, has the has the um, the value of uh, giving schools the opportunity to inform the teachers about the expectations uh, by setting boundaries of what they can and can't do, uh, both in and outside the schools. It is uh, from time to time, uh, as I've learned from uh, some school, uh, some friends who are school, uh, very experienced as school principals, that uh, some teachers may not be sufficiently alert to the professional propriety of their deeds. Um, cases such as um, a male teacher having a date outside of school with a female student or a male teacher arranging a supplementary class with a female student alone um, can happen from time to time. So um, in such cases, uh, and many others as well, a clear instruction from the EDB um, on how teacher-student relationships should be handled. I think it's good um, to all the stakeholders, mm. uh, students, parents, teachers, and also school administrators. Has there been like a, a measurable increase in these cases, or are we talking about the perception has, has changed because social media and kids publishing stories sooner and photographs are more widespread uh, visible? I mean, is, is there a trend I think both uh, both hold true because uh, on the one hand we, we do have uh, as uh, Mr. Principal just mentioned, um, you know, a few hundred of uh, uh, warning letters uh, issued to teachers um, suspected or confirmed to uh, to have uh, violated the professional uh, uh, rules of uh, uh, that are issued by by the EDB, and at the same time, uh, you know, based on such phenomenon, we can uh, more or less safely. Uh, project that uh, um, similar cases uh, maybe in an increasing number might might happen you know in in the future especially as I've just mentioned we we do have uh, an an expanding number of new and inexperienced teachers joining the force Mm. and is it younger teachers that can't tend to get more in trouble with that? Like, I don't see a 55-year-old teacher saying, hey, let's get a karaoke party room with a bunch of teenage girls. I mean, uh, you know, whereas you could see maybe a 25-year-old teacher be like, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> I mean, is, is there, is, is, are you trying to correct these lapses in judgment? I think there's a gap between university life and actual uh, professional life in, in, in schools. Uh, when, when teachers 
but still in the university days, they tend to be very free with uh, most of the things. Uh, will, uh, totally, uh, you know, up to the their own uh, preferences and, and and also their their, their decisions. Because university has all along stressed the academic freedom, freedom of expression, etc. But uh, when they go to teach in the schools, which uh, is at the uh, at the uh, basic edu- education stage, a lot of discipline, a lot of rules and regulations have to be uh, given and, and and implemented. And this was to to, uh, to a good extent um, set boundaries on on what teachers. Uh, and also students can do or cannot do it in, in the school compounds. Mm. So this is uh, this is something which is very different from what they they, they have undergone in, in the college days. So I think um, it, uh, some kind of a key instructions from the authorities uh, on the on the these the ethics and, and also the roles of teachers uh, should help them uh, you know, in, in in the course of the alerting the students and educating educating and training them. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Uh, new teachers said uh, there is going to here's the welcome pack to, yeah. to real life at school. Well, I mean, a 25-year-old could probably claim ignorance. If you're a 55-year-old teacher doing that kind of that kind of stuff, you got no excuses. You should know better. <laughs> but I mean, uh, Dart, uh, <clears throat> Rizwan, do you, do you find that there's a disconnect between parents and what they hear in the media and what the guidelines are? So, uh, you know, you'll see things in the media that'll say, Teachers are told they should never take a photo where they are touching students. And then the public gets that message. And then they show up at the graduation ceremony and an 18-year-old girl is putting an arm around her her PE coach, who's also a woman. You know, are some parents going to be like, that's breaking the rules? Do, do you get disconnect between parents from what they hear in the media and what is actually, you know, what the guidelines actually are and what teachers are being trained on? Well, I think, uh, again, it's going to be very difficult, you know, to come up with, like, let's say the discussion of uh, the protocol in, like, we're not going to come up with a protocol on how to take a, uh, take a photo with students in various scenarios, mm. definitely. But, again, I think uh, sometimes, like, uh, you know, the media, when they uh, report this, they, they go from an angle, ah, okay, like, uh, there are these four cases, and, and, and how uh, they are presented. That might this might give people an impression that uh, they, you know, the teachers they, they need more of these training and all these things, and then they might think differently. But I mean, regardless of this, I mean, being in the system myself, I agree with uh, Mervin that if these guidelines are there, sometimes it makes things much easier. We rather have guidelines, and I mean, this is actually a professional kit for teachers to use in the school and school can you know look at their school-based situation and all these things and the, the, uh, the dynamics and all the things and to educate and train the teachers you know because uh, right now the the time has really changed like going back to the question that you also asked uh, Mervyn like is it the because of the rising social media or is it the teachers training there are some issues I think the thing is because the societal expectation is increasing. You have social media. In the past, there was no report, nothing, and all these things. No one talked about this. But nowadays, like if the, the teacher organized a private gathering with the students, like let's say if the teacher uh, is caught uh, in an act, like it, it might be very innocent, 
but then you know uh, a photo say a thousand words and then the teacher will just end up in trouble explaining if that is put in social media or or, or taken out of context because for uh, as teachers i think our professionalism is actually to there are four things we should do first we have to create you know a constructive climate for students to learn we have to get our students to uh, be of high expectation and we maximize uh, learning opportunities for them and then you know we treat our students with respect if we put these as our goals i think we will not be discussing on you know uh, how to take photos and all these different things we go back to the the very basic of our profession and then these things are actually to help some of our, our green colleagues to circumvent not circumvent to to go well with these if they come across this as they are growing or building their learning curve they can uh, grow uh, in a positive environment like for students as well so that's why I think we should look at this and if we go into the discussion oh uh, in sports day you should not do this in speech day you should not do this in swimming gala you should not do this then we defeat the whole purpose mm. of going after uh, creating a professional image and be professional exercise professionalism and all these sort of things so uh, the PE teachers uh, the swimming coach I mean this the, in sports you probably have uh, you know the kind of more the, the easy it's probably easier to have a conflict situation uh, because there is there is physical contact there is uh, you know how to move your arm how to do your back swing better I mean there are a, a touching between uh, the educators and and the kids uh, is going to be part parcel of that so is there a separate uh, uh, kind of like how to uh, booklet well, I- on that or is it better understanding is there a discussion well, among I- them. I think many schools, they have their guidelines, they have their practices. Like let's say if you have a coach from outside, even in swimming, you will not find the same gender, uh, I mean a different gender to teach and opposite gender swimming, like let's say. Okay, so gender, same gender. Uh, yeah, same gender in, in physical lesson. And also when you take photos, like let's say if you get on the award, you can do a victory sign standing next to the student uh, and to connote that message of uh, celebrating so I think uh, as teachers ourselves, like I've been in the field for 20 years, I know if I, if I do this, like let's say if I put something on social media, I use social media, I would think twice before I put things because I'm in this field. So I have this extra expectation from the society. And if I'm in this field, I should follow and uphold the uh, professional integrity mm. of the profession. Yeah, I mean, uh, in concerning social media, have teachers pushed back on this? Have have you had have you had instances of teachers saying, "Listen, you know, I understand that while I'm at school, I have to maintain the school's line, but I should be allowed to have freedom of speech, or I should be able to have my own opinions outside of outside of the workplace." Have you had any pushback from teachers on that front? Well, uh, not that I have heard of, but I mean, uh, uh, like if you use social media. I mean, even if you're not a teacher, when you use it, freedom of speech comes in a, there is a a boundary even for freedom of speech. I mean, you will not just say anything uh, against a religion, against certain things. You will, you you have to use it reasonably and responsibly. And and I'm sure like teachers are not the only profession that they have to be reason, uh, be careful 
uh, be a little vigilant when they use their Facebook, uh, sorry, the social media, any social media platforms, like doctors, accountants, government officials. I think they all have their uh, SOPs and protocols and guidelines to follow, mm -hmm. in so particular in the past few years. Just switching back to movement, are we different from other uh, places in Asia, uh, how we approach this? Well, I think uh, basically we are not uh, any stricter than, uh, than our, our, our neighboring regions. For instance, in Singapore, we, as we all understand that the, um, uh, well, the, the, the restrictions are, are, are very, uh, I should say, very stringent uh, regarding the professionalism of teachers. Now, let me uh, take this opportunity to respond to your earlier question, that is, uh, whether uh, you know your 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 question on the freedom of of uh, words mm. uh, by yeah. teachers outside outside school uh, campuses. Mm. Now um, the education bureau has made it clear repeatedly that um, teachers cannot indulge in these um, and uh, behavior and uh, words and speeches um, which are considered uh, not appropriate, uh, indecent, or, or even provocative. Uh, you know, outside schools, and this uh, this this has been very clear. It doesn't mean that uh, when it's, uh, it's, uh, you know after school hours, the teachers can simply do what what they like, regardless of uh, the uh, the decency of uh, what what they say and 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 and, uh, and what they do. So this has been very clear uh, from the education view. Hmm. We've got a comment. We've got an email here from Kim. Kim says, uh, shouldn't we also consider, quote-unquote, educating parents? The whole birds and the bees story should start at home. Um, well, we're not really talking about sex education today, but, uh, you know, teachers are getting guidelines. Should parents also be telling their children what is considered appropriate behavior at school and, what is and, and, and with their teachers? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, like... Uh, I mean, kids. Kids are going to be kids. You know, kids are going to go. Uh, little little kindergarten kids are going to give their teacher a hug, but that's off the guidelines now. High school teacher. You know, high school kids. Like I said, they'll put their arm around a teacher and feel like almost peers with them. Um, I mean, is that? You know, do do parents have to tell students how to behave when they're at school when they're interacting with teachers? Well, I think all parents. Uh, uh, like I mean, of course, school works will work with parents. I mean, on uh, different things that the school needs the support of parents. And being a parent myself, of course, uh, this is something that we should uh, teach our kids also because we need to teach them uh, how to protect themselves, how, how not to, uh, like how to deal with relationship also, like different kind of relationships, like your teacher-student relationship, your friend-friend relationship. So all these things are education. Uh, and I'm sure school works with parents, with their PTA, to to hold seminars, workshops, in this, and depending on the need, school should arrange these kind of things and uh, and work with parents, the PTA, uh, to get the message and seek their support. Mm. How about emotional development of kids? I mean, there there are emotion. Emotional development is important. The emotional relationship with teachers is is is. is Part, part and parcel of that too and, and there is an education aspect there too or a developmental issue are we, are we suppressing the emotional development by uh, being too constrained or is there a risk at least that we need to address uh, I think when we look at the concept of uh, positive bonds 
when we create a constructive climate, it doesn't necessarily, I have to be prox- proximately speaking, I have to be very close with the student physically, then that will induce a constructive climate. It can be done different things, getting students to respect and you respect the students and then they start to understand you. This is a process we have to mold and demonstrate to the students and gradually they will understand. And students who are going through some emotional problems, they're always in school-based mechanism or even in schools we have the support of social workers, education psychologists uh, and clinical psychologists to help and look at each cases from a pastoral, a pastoral angle and help them and mm. involve parents if needed and also involve outside there, professionals if things are serious. That's great. Uh, the, the key word that I took out of that is respect. Thank you very much, Dr. Rizwan Ullah, Vice Principal at La Ting Pong Secondary School. And he's got to run that school today, so he's going to be uh, not going to be with us for the second part of the show. Thank you. But, but thank, thank you very much for joining yeah, us. Great. Good. Uh, Mr. Mervin Chung will be joining us after a quick hit on your weather. Hot and sunny periods and a few showers. Max temperature around 32 degrees today, even higher in the new territory. Oops. So watch out. It's currently sweaty. Yeah. Oh, you better believe it. 30 degrees Celsius and 79% humidity in Hong Kong at the moment. And now the news with Barry O'Rourke. Ships and planes from the United States and Canada are searching waters in the North Atlantic for a submersible that went missing on a trip to explore the wreck of the Titanic. Contact was lost more than 24 hours ago, almost two hours after it began its descent. Five people are on board. The United Nations Secretary-General, Antonio Guterres, says Sudan is descending into death and destruction at an unprecedented speed. He was speaking at the start of an international humanitarian summit in Geneva, organised by the UN, Egypt, Germany, Qatar and Saudi Arabia, as well as the African Union and the European Union. And locally, the Ocean Park Conservation Foundation says unsustainable harvesting of horseshoe crabs and their use for medical purposes has led to a sharp drop in their population. Judy Wan, the foundation's community Education's ed- education manager says she expects that more horseshoe crab species, such as the mangrove horseshoe crab, will soon be listed as endangered. We'll have more news at 10 o'clock. The bank wants me to click this link to confirm a transfer. A government department called and says I've broken the law. It asked me to click this link to enter login details. A new payee in my bank account? Do I need to click this link to check? Banks will never ask you to log into your internet banking account or provide personal information through links in SMS messages or email. The Hong Kong Monetary Authority reminds you, protect your personal digital keys. Beware of fraudulent links. There are reasons to be happy everywhere you go in Hong Kong. Enjoy local and global cuisines and have fun along the way. Get immersed in the world of light, shows and carnivals. Joyful moments for all. Want to explore special bazaars? They are just around the corner. Pop culture? Victoria Harbour is our stage. Happiness is all around you. Come and join us. Taste the joy, share the fun. Happy Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. All right, and welcome back to Bat Chat with me, Andrew Work, and Paul Zimmerman. And here we go. Here we go. Uh, continuing with this is Mervyn Chung, the chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Organization. But we're also joined now by Edward Vickers, Professor Edward Vickers, who's a professor of comparative education at Kyushu University in Japan. Uh, good morning, uh, Professor Vickers. 
morning, morning. Morning. Great to have you on the show. Uh, just to, just to kick off, uh, we just want to check: Have you had a look at these new? Have you had a chance to have a look at these new guidelines that we're talking about today? I haven't had a chance to look at the original copy of the guidelines. I've only been able to look at a, an article. Uh, discussing them um, in the South China Morning Post. Okay, so you have a general idea of what we're doing here. I mean, do, do similar guidelines exist for, I would assume similar guidelines exist for teachers uh, in Japan? Maybe they're local, maybe they're national. What What is the situation there? Yeah, I mean, the guidelines that exist in Japan, I mean, there are national and local guidelines, as you suggest. Um, they are... I think, judging by the um, document that I have seen from Hong Kong, which is the guidelines on teachers' professional conduct, the guidelines in Japan are somewhat less prescriptive. Um, uh, for example, there has been a, a sort of public debate in recent years about corporal punishment um, in Japanese schools, uh, which is an issue that relates to the the. the uh, the uh, the guidance that the Hong Kong guidance uh, the guidelines are, are giving on sort of you know contact physical contact between teachers and students now here in Japan I mean corporal punishment has been illegal technically since the late 19th century but nonetheless um, by all reports it happens quite a lot in oh. schools here and uh, in you know legal cases that have come before the courts what what, what kind of corporal punishment decisions have gone in we well, talking we're talking about sort of. We're not talking about. No, no, no. That would clearly contravene the uh, uh, the guidelines. We're talking, or, or that would that would be a clear sort of, you know, breaking case of breaking the law. Mm. Uh, we're talking about sort of spontaneous uh, responses by teachers to disruptive behaviour in the classroom. Right, a slap on the cheek or uh, and in, ruler in the hand. Yeah. That sort of thing, yeah, yeah. Um, and that has tended to be viewed rather leniently um, here in Japan. So Paul, Paul and I are reliving our childhood. To, <laughs> yeah, exactly, that's how we grew up. But that, that life has changed for well, sure. Well, yes, yes. Well, certainly I, I grew up in a rather uh, yeah rigorous Harry Potter-style school in, um, in, in England, uh, which was eventually closed down because the monks which were, were proven to have... Um, uh, abused the, uh, some of the students in, uh, in, the, in the junior school. Yeah. Times are changing indeed. So, so, um, okay, so, so... Well, yeah, I mean... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, so, so, but I understand that you're, you're a professor of comparative education. You don't just look at Japan. You are looking at norms across Asia or around the world? Well, particularly across Asia. Mm. Um, uh, and I've looked a lot at uh, Hong Kong and uh, other Chinese societies. Um, my impression with the treatment of this issue relating to, um, well, the governance of relationships between teachers and students, basically, in, in schools, or, or the, the role of the teacher, teacher's professional conduct, um, essentially, you know, what it means to be a teacher in Hong Kong schools. If we look at the, the guidelines uh, on professional conduct that were issued by the government, the emph uh, and I think this is late last year, uh, that document was produced, the emphasis is very much on presenting or reinforcing a notion of the teacher as an authority figure. So there's a lot in there about 
the duty that rests upon teachers to inculcate into their students a correct understanding of identity, uh, of the rule of law, but within that of the national security law. And, you know, so the teachers are being, in a sense, reframed as agents of state authority, it very much seems, uh, from that document. Uh, and I think that's the context in which we need to see these latest announcements, um, which essentially, well, well, on the, I, I think we, we need to see this in a slightly balanced way. On the one hand, it's good to give teachers clear guidance on how they should relate to students, what they should and shouldn't do. Uh, and certainly if we go back 30 years, when I was working in Hong Kong, those guidelines weren't clear. Um, uh, and so there, there certainly is a case or has been a case for tightening up or, or clarifying uh, guidelines on uh, how teachers should relate to students. But the current guidance seems to be directed at um, really limiting what we might call fraternization between mm. teachers and students. Uh, is that good or bad? In, in, well, I think it's, it, there are good and bad aspects to it. Um, there are dangers to, not least to teachers themselves, in um, uh, getting too friendly with students. It can undermine their authority in the classroom. Um, it can be confusing for students as well. But mm. on the other hand, if you place too much emphasis on presenting the teacher as a distant authority figure, um, that can also make it difficult for students, or, or it can make it less likely, I think, for students who perhaps have problems at home, who are looking for an adult they can trust, they can relate to, with whom they can discuss problems they may be having. It makes it less likely that they're going to identify teachers uh, as that sort of adult. Hmm. Um, and, and, and the very prescriptive nature of the guidance that the government in Hong Kong now seems to be putting out, it seems to be very much narrowing the scope for teachers to exercise professional judgment in these matters, hmm. okay. um, which here in Japan is something that, that generally, you know, society and the government places quite significant trust in teachers, perhaps, perhaps actually too much trust. I might argue, but, but there is a lot of trust in teachers as professionals. Okay. And the direction of the guidelines in Hong Kong seems to be to, well, essentially to deprofessionalize teachers by hmm. very, very rigidly prescribing what they can and cannot do. Murfin, uh, yes. would you like to respond to that one? There is, uh, uh, you know, the, um, the comments that you have just heard. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, <clears throat> I think uh, Professor Victor uh, has made uh, some good points. Um, well, in Japan, I, I think um, these are the ways that uh, the, uh, the, the, the formal education uh, is run. But uh, in Hong Kong, and of course many people don't like to be taught uh, how to do things and, uh, and what to do. But this is a, re a hard reality. Now, let's recall that anything bad happening about uh, students, teachers, and schools, especially when, when uh, such you know, bad things are reported through, through the press media, 
there must be a response that um, the government here in the, the EDB has failed to issue guidelines so that teachers and schools, parents and, and teachers, don't know how to, uh, how to cope with the situation. So in such circumstances, the only thing for, um, for, for the government to do is to issue guidelines on different uh, subjects. Uh, or different areas of work uh, uh, affecting schools and, 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 and also the, uh, uh, members of the education community. So that's why uh, it would give people or uh, people outside Hong Kong that um, our system and, and, the working, uh, and the working inside is too uh, prescriptive. So this is something that uh, comes under a hard reality, which I think uh, with our system becoming more, more and more complex, um, this kind of prescript, prescriptive nature or the issuance of guidelines from the government might might become to a necessity or at least a, you know a trend that mm. is favoured by by the, by the school community. So, but then if we take it from the kids' point of view, I mean uh, the, the need for an uh, you know, are we going to make it too much of a distant authority figure as um, uh, as Edward Vickers has just claimed or. Um, can we make sure that the teachers are available for the kids to to come up to be a father figure when it, when it's necessary for them? Yeah. Well, I think uh, uh, well, given time, it, it would be uh, more 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 desirable if uh, schools uh, can assume uh, greater autonomy in deciding uh, on, on on their own things. And this is also the the, the fundamental spirit of uh, school based management. And so I think uh, hopefully um, schools will, will be able to do more things uh, uh, according to their, 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 their original missions and, and, and uh, their own expectations and be more in line with what, uh, what is expected of the schools and the teachers you know, from the parents. I mean, the, the fact that they're publishing guidelines and they're using examples of real cases it, it has a very uh hayekian flavor to it in that he was a big fan of common law he was a big fan of custom didn't want things everything to come down as a law as a hard and fast regulation um because guidelines and and you know referring to history allows continuity and flexibility as you adapt to the future um but you know edward vickers you're saying that you think that it's got a bit of a flavor of a top-down uh, you know, the power flows from the emperor to the governor, so on and so on, until you get to the schools where you've got the principal and then the teachers. I mean, which, which of those two do you think is more like? Is it more like a common law system where you have customs and guidelines guided by past behavior, or is it a top-down, you know, power flows from the top type situation? Well, yeah. I mean, in my field of comparative education, we like to Know, place great emphasis on the importance of looking at, you know, whatever phenomenon, whatever issue it might be in context. And if we look at, um, well, this narrow issue that I think the, the most recent um, EDB announcement is dealing with, to do with, you know, how teachers should handle relationships with their students, uh, how they should... Um, uh, you know, present themselves as professionals um, uh, uh, and, and, you know, maintain a correct, as the government sees it, a correct distance with their students. What is the context for this? The context is, you know, the aftermath 
of the great, the big demonstrations of 2019 to 2020 in Hong Kong, which predominantly involved young people, including secondary school students, and for which, therefore, many in Hong Kong uh, blame, or many in the Hong Kong establishment, have blamed schools, have blamed teachers. Uh, and I think part of the discourse there is that teachers were, um, in, in essence, encouraging students to be rebellious, that they were not um, inculcating uh, correct values in their students, that they were not behaving uh, as the sort of authority figures and as the channels for uh, the state's preferred vision of identity and values that those in, you know, now in control in Hong Kong would like them to, uh, to perform at. And, you know, I think that's the background in which we need to understand this, this emphasis now on um, teachers maintaining distance from students. Mervyn, do you agree uh, with that? Teachers representing authority. Mervyn, you yeah, agree with that? Some kind of respectful, respectful uh, and appropriate distance from, from students should always uh, be deemed necessary. Hmm. Now, let me close by um, hmm. citing the eight general criteria for professional ethics and conduct which are uh, adopted by the Education Bureau. Professional conviction, law abidance, role mo- uh, being role models uh, you know, for students, fair and, uh, being fair and corrupt, and dedication to roles and responsibilities as teachers, care for students, respect privacy, and protection of professionalism. Now, all these are general criteria which are very, very clear uh, that are, are given for professional uh, ethics and conduct of teachers. The details uh, are what that matter, and this should be worked out uh, between schools and, and, and the authorities so that uh, they become more realistic and at the same time in the interest of, of the students. Mm. And Edward Vickers, we're going to give we're going to give the last word to you. Um, do you think Do you think broadly, when you see what the Hong Kong, uh, you know, the, broadly compared to especially what you're seeing across Asia, do you think the Hong Kong government, or the the Department of Education, is broadly heading in the right direction here? Well, I th- I do think that it's good to give teachers uh, clear guidance on um, how they should uh, manage. Their relation, the, how they relate to their students uh, in school. Um, but I think that, as I said just now, seen in the broader context of the messages that teachers are receiving from the Hong Kong government now and in recent years, this is going to um, make teachers, I think, more fearful, more cautious about you know what they say, what they do. Um, not just within school, but out of school. I mean, it's very noticeable, for example, that one of the examples cited, one of the cases that is presented here, relates to teachers' use of social media uh, over an issue that has absolutely nothing to do with education. But but teachers are being expected to perform as, you know, general-purpose role models for their students. And, yeah, up to a point, that's fine, that's understandable. But um, when the government talks of teachers as uh, role models... What values is it, is it expecting teachers to model? Um, as I said just now, I mean, the, the emphasis in uh, the, the, the sort of explanation of the values that teachers are expected to model for their students, are expected to inculcate in their students, 
these days is very much on um, identity, uh, loyalty, uh, and um, uh, national security. Um, and so I, I, I think we need to understand these regulations in that context. And as I said, be aware of how um, imposing a, a greater distance between teachers and students and making teachers more fearful of what they say, what they do with students, um, can go too far and can be detrimental uh, to um, to students, particularly students who uh, may need to look to teachers as um, reliable, trustworthy, relatable adults. Good point um, to end on. Yeah. I'm actually family. thinking about Pink yeah. Floyd, another brick in the wall here. Uh, the song comes up to my mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've even, I've even, <laughs> that was an unrestrained system, but I think today more we're talking about the difference between guard, the, the balance between guardrails and a straitjacket. And very interesting discussion. Thank you very much to Edward Vickers, Professor of Comparative Education at Kyushu University, and also Mervyn Chung. Chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Organization. Thank you very much to both of you for joining us on Back Chat. Thank you. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Happy 95th birthday, RTHK. Thank you for 95 years of public broadcasting service. Keep up the amazing work. I'm Janice Wailan. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88266 and have your say. And we're back on Backchat with Andrew Work and Paul Zimmerman. Joining us now is Rachel So. Morning, Rachel. Yeah, hello. Morning. Good morning, Rachel So is a project manager at the... Sustainable Ecological Ethical Development Foundation, I'm sure they say. Seed. Seed. For short. Go. Good morning. So, Rachel, uh, we're having a big, uh, Hong Kong's having, I believe, its first ever watermelon festival. How big? What will be the largest watermelon? <laughs> Yes, that is a uh, few years that uh, AFCD they hold the uh, watermelon festival, so that can draw the attention of the public to uh, know that the local farm where they have also put a great effort and they have assisted uh, on planting this uh, good quality of a watermelon. Mm-hmm. And locally grown watermelon—that's the key, right? Yes, yes, that is uh, local and uh, uh, some is organic. Most of the organic uh, watermelon. Okay, and I know you guys are the uh, you guys are organic experts, but I think a lot of people wouldn't really think of Hong Kong as a farming or agricultural center. I mean, you know, I come from Canada. Uh, Paul's Chinese, but you know, has origins in the Netherlands, which is also a big agricultural exporter. But Hong Kong, I mean, where where are the farms in Hong Kong, and what do we grow? Oh yeah, the farm is mainly distributed in the rural area, like the Comtin. Uh, or you can enter island on the island that is still have some farming farmland. Mm-hmm. Um, that is uh, actually that is still a lot of uh, old farmer or uh, the son of the farmers, the second generation. They keep on the farming uh, for the last generations. Is it so, hobby farming or is it real kind of? Uh, are, are we trying to have a, a commercial farming? 
Yes, yes. They uh, produce uh, productive form. That's when they will produce the produce and sell in the market. But yeah. are, are they make are they making money, or is it more like, you know, kind of like a nice it's a good hobby, hobby when I'm an old man? Yeah. Both uh, different scale. That is a small scale form. That is medium size, and then that is also uh, larger size for commercial production. So how can you say? Um, Earn the money. It depends. Yeah, mm-hmm. different uh, farmers they have different perspectives. Some is retired. They want to uh, go for this uh, rural living and then uh, uh, put their time and effort uh, to uh, get along with, with their crops, uh, with the weather and uh, with the later. Right, and it's so. a, it's a healthy thing to do as well. Uh, our national government is putting more emphasis on farming and trying to improve production, uh, farm production in uh, on on the mainland. Do you see this happening in Hong Kong? Uh, sorry, again. Well, on the mainland, the our national government is really putting more emphasis on farming and trying to in- increase and improve production. Are we going to see this in Hong Kong too? Um, maybe there is some also effort like this kind of promotion program so that they want to draw the attention. Um, there is some technical training on that. Of course, it can be more. Yeah, like the, they can support more about their operation, the technique, uh, the manpower, etc. Hmm. And, and I mean, for people that, you know, have been in touch with, uh, in touch with, farming and agriculture and nature in Hong Kong, have they noticed any changes over the past few years? I mean, have weather conditions changed in for farming in Hong Kong? Are they getting better? Are they getting worse? You mean the weather condition? Yeah. Um, how can you say it's just not predictable for the farmers? It's just more dramatic, certainly, that is the dry and cold weather in the early of this year, and then there's this coming with uh, two weeks of heavy rain. So when we talk to the farmer, they also mention it's very difficult to adapt to this uh, dramatic change of the weather, and this is unpredictable, whether it's cooler years or warm years. or uh, So in terms of selection of variety and uh, how to manage the veggie and the food, it's also become more challenging for the farmers. So what do you recommend? Uh, what vegetables and, I mean... Um, watermelons, cucumbers. I mean, what what are we? Uh, what what is what is the good for Hong Kong under these conditions? Um, we are also look. Uh, it's just well, not uh, easy way, but the farmers uh, they have experience. You know that they have found a lot, and then they observe the temperature, and then sometimes they can increase the variety. So. That does mean that uh, there is also uh, one idea of about organic farming so that they can plant different st- uh, crops in the fields. Sometimes it's just, um, pico- uh, avoided that some of maybe have a gap loss for certain species, but for another species, oh, the weather is per- uh, perfect for them. They have an, another good harvest for those. So this is kind of security for them uh, for the output. Mm. And I mean, if you're if you're if you're doing organic farming, you have less resource to chemicals and things like that um, to be able to adapt to changes in the weather, changes in the climate. But I mean, if people in Hong Kong genuinely want organic products, how do they know something's organic? You know, I used to run exhibitions and there were different standards you could look for uh, until the U.S. Department of Agriculture got in and got their standard got lobbied down to be meaningless. I mean, anything could get 
called organic after that. I wouldn't trust it. Okay. Um, but it, but in Hong Kong, how do you know if something is organic? If anybody can just put organic on the label and say whatever? Okay, before actually the consumer maybe we are talking in nineteen ninety something. People don't know much about where it's organic. But throughout these two uh, twenty years, actually everyone can tell where it's organic. Uh, what they do. So actually, there is two different systems. Uh, by third party, there is a, a certification system called OLC. So they will, the farmer can apply for that, and then they have a protocol to uh, uh, go through to uh, like the certification system. Mm-hmm. And now the system is running, it's about the trust and relationship. So the, uh, as Everyone is have well know about organic, where is the standard, and then they can go into the farmers market, or go to the farm and talk to the farmer, so that they can understand what is the, uh, what they grow, how they grow, what they use. Mm-hmm. That's is uh, what happening in the farmers market. So you go to the farmers market, but yeah. if if I don't have time for the farmers market, I understand some of the farmers they have a delivery mechanism. You can like be on the list and get vegetables delivered. I mean, where, where do we? Where people are interested in organic? Uh, homegrown vegetables, where do they go to be, to be able to buy or have regular orders? Oh, there are some farmers and their uh, community supported agriculture. They can order from the group and they can deliver their uh, veggie basket weekly to them. Yes. Okay, and where do people find information about community support for the farmers? Yes, yes. Where yes. Can, can they, they find? Can they can they go to your website? Do you have a website for the Seed Foundation? Yes, we have the website where you can. Yeah, you just simply it's very convenient now on the Facebook. You can search uh, the delivery and the uh, co-op for those. Uh, 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 operating this community support agriculture. Hong Kong organic delivery on Facebook. I mean, because a lot of a lot of organizations like this, you know, they don't have websites. They just have a Facebook page. Yeah. So the community was you, you call this community support? How, what, can you repeat this? Yeah, community. That's mean. Actually, what is the idea is that um, uh, we, in terms of, we want to maintain a sustainable food uh, system. That is very important to support what the farmer do in the land. You, yeah. As you mentioned, the weather, the, uh, the past, and that is, uh, they always get lost. Okay. So how can they secure their living and then how to support their work? Actually, it's this kind of community support. For All example, right. in farmer market, they go there every week and then um, uh, to uh, share and then join the energy from from the market or and that, that would join be those bullcrap. That's how great. we can all help. Yeah, buy fan- organic, buy, buy local. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Rachel Soul, Project Manager from Sustainable Ecological Ethical Development Foundation, the Seed Foundation. Thank you very much to Paul Zimmerman for coming on the show today. Good being here to me. And uh, thank you, Raphael Bled, our producer, and Tsang Wing Ming, our sound engineer. Money Talk is going to be at 8 a.m., of course, on Monday. And we're going to have Back Chat with Janice Wong and Rainbow Lung. This has been Back Chat. <laughs>